0: Well, Redemption, we are going to dive into Philippians again. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and someone will hand you a Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and keep that one. I am not here to preach this morning. I'm here to introduce the guy who is preaching. So Josh Prather, come on up. Uh, Josh is the pastor of community and global—don't clap yet. I'll, give, I'll let you know. We're going to clap. Um, He's the pastor of community and global initiatives for redemption, uh, and he serves all of the congregations. He does a, a lot of really good work. And I've known Josh for a long time, ever since he was like first here in Arizona as a part of redemption. And there are so many things I could say about Josh, but I won't. I won't, I won't tell you about how this man has eaten more cliff bars than any other human <laughs> has in the world. I won't tell you about the fact that he can communicate full sentences with just facial expressions. I won't tell you about the fact that if I, if beef jerky became a human being and came to life, that it would be Josh Prather. But what I will... (laughs) It's tough, man, it's tough. And then the other thing is, uh, but I will tell you, that if there is someone whose life is a living commentary of the passage we're gonna talk about today, that's this guy right here. So let's welcome him here, and then you take it away, Josh.
1: Thank you. Uh, nothing like an introduction from Jim Mullins, right? Get you, get you started and launch you launch you into your sermon. Uh, Josh Prather, I'm the pastor of Community and Global Initiatives. Community and Global Initiatives exists centrally at Redemption Church to help our church primarily through um, leaders at the different congregations. Love those that are picked last in society, the lost that don't know Jesus, and the least of these in society. So we're leaders to try to help them make disciples who have that vision. Um, I'm married, been married for close to 10 years now, which is incredible. Ooh, it's getting there. Uh, four year old and my wife and I live downtown. Let me go through, uh, my outline and then I'll pray and then we can jump into it. Okay. So I'm going to start with the biblical story. I'm going to take us back to Adam and Eve because I think there's a very clear connection with Adam and Eve and our text. Um, So start with the biblical story, trace that through, getting to the church in Philippi. And then our text, Philippians 1, we're going to start in verse 18, and I'm going to go from verse 18 to verse 26 and talk through that first. And the theme of that, if you're thinking, okay, 18 through 26 is to live as Christ and to die as gain, which is really the whole passage that's kind of what embodies the whole passage, but 18 through 26 in particular. And then every passage, I just want to take a moment now, This passage is saturated in the gospel, so it's not that hard to find it, but we're going to take just a moment. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the gospel. So take a pause in our passage, talk through the gospel. And then, from the Gospel, I believe as Jesus gives us His grace, fills us up with the Spirit, He calls us always to love our neighbor and to live on mission for Him in the world. So, we're going to talk about loving our neighbor, which is a very easy transition into the last part of our passage, which is Philippians 1, 27 through 30, a life worthy of the Gospel. So, what does a life worthy of the gospel actually look like? But uh, what is central to the book of Philippians is suffering. Nobody likes to talk about it. I have the privilege of talking about it with you a little bit um, to live as Christ and to die as gain because suffering's in the world. So, what do we long for? So, we're going to take a moment to talk about future joy because joy is also central to the book of Philippians. And why is that? So, we're going to end there. Pray with me, and then we'll jump into it. God. Thank you so much for your word, and I pray that as I open your word, that you fill me with your spirit. God, I pray that you bless me now, where I know all the blessings that belong to me in Christ, all for the purpose of being a blessing. God, I pray that whatever I say that is beautiful and good, that they would remember it, and whatever is terrible and bad, that you'd wipe it from them, so they would remember it, God. So uh, be with me now, all for the sake of the glory of Jesus. In his name I pray, all God's people said, amen. So one of the ministries that I help lead, which is transition to the biblical story, one of the ministries that I help lead is called the Daniel Initiative. Um, And it's a network of international pastors in the city, international leaders. And it kind of was birthed out of me just sitting down, having coffee conversations, having meals with all these incredible global pastors and leaders in our city, and just being amazed with like the wealth— of knowledge that comes from the majority world, Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And God in his sovereignty has brought these leaders to us. So we gather together, we eat, we pray, We just enjoy one another's company, all with a vision of equipping the next generation of international multicultural leaders to be a blessing to our city. If you notice, Phoenix is becoming more diverse with more cultures and more people. So I think the next wave of leaders has to understand those, and we see those in the international church that are here in our city. Um, But when we started this ministry, we didn't really know how to get it running. So we were gathering together, we were eating together, praying together, but we're wondering, okay, how do we get this thing rolling? So we're all sitting down at Abyssinia Ethiopian restaurant, which is at 7th Street and Indian School. If you've never been there, it's an incredible restaurant. You got to go. But the owner of that restaurant also is one of these international leaders. He leads a ministry called Hope for Children. So I'm sitting down with him. I'm sitting down with the Burmese pastor. I'm sitting down with the Honduran pastor. I'm sitting down with the Brazilian pastor. And we're talking about how to Like, what's the foundation for this? And how do we get rolling? And I speak up and I say, well, maybe we should get in the room with a whiteboard and we should just brainstorm and talk about everything we hope this would be. And, you know, God's intentions for this. And from that, we can have a a mission. We can have a vision. We can have our values that form it. And we can have a strategy, you know, that we can live out of. And they're like, "Eh." okay. And then one of them leans forward, (laughs) the Burmese pastor leans forward and says, why don't we pray? And like an audible sigh, the whole table goes, yes. (laughs) And then I I sat back in my chair and I've had a conversation with each one of them over time where they talk about since they moved to the West, there is this longing to be connected again with the spirit because where they came from, it was very palatable within their church that Jesus was Lord, that their allegiance was holy and fully to Jesus above all others and prayer is an indication of that but what they were challenging me on i didn't know it at the time and they didn't say this because they're too kind is they were challenging my allegiance and i think the text that we're going to talk through challenges all our allegiances because do you believe in yourself do you believe that you can come up with the mission you can come up with the values you can come up with the philosophy you can build this ministry or what they were saying to me is if we don't pray and we're not desperate for jesus to build a ministry we labor in vain why are we doing this If God's not going to be the one to build the ministry, why do you do it? Now, where does that come from in me? Why was my instinct to come to myself and think, okay, I can build this? Because it comes from Adam and Eve. Because in the garden, they have this relationship where God gives them his image. And he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Continue to create image bearers under my lordship. So you're going to be under my lordship. You're going to love your neighbor. And then every single person that you see, you're going to see my face in their face. Because they're an image bearer. So your allegiance, holy to me. But what Adam and Eve decide to do is they're going to build their own lives. They're going to build their own ministries. So from that moment of Adam and Eve trickling all the way forward, we're longing for true humanity. We're longing for someone to come and actually embody the full presence of God, for someone to actually declare Jesus or, in this context, declare the Lord as Lord. And we find it in the person and the work of Jesus. So through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he solidifies his place as Lord. But it doesn't end with him, which is now leading to the Book of Philippians. It doesn't end with him because all who by grace and faith give themselves to Jesus, God actually imprints that image on them as well. Paul understands this, so he has a vision to travel the world as God leads him and gather together these Jesus communities that can allow people that are outside to get a glimpse of the way things are supposed to be. People are supposed to look into this church and they're supposed to look at you and they're supposed to see true humanity. If Jesus has filled you with his spirit, they're supposed to look in here. They're supposed to be true unity and oneness. But as we find in the book of Philippians, that's hard. That's hard work to be faithful to Jesus and live a life that can lead to suffering is not easy. So let's jump into it and let's see what Paul has to say to us. Uh, Philippians 1 verses 18 through 30 is where I'm going to start. Verse 18b yes and i will rejoice for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance pause there just for a moment the spirit of jesus in prayer are what allows paul to be set free in this life whether it's in life or whether it's in death, and it's a power that is unattainable on his own. And he understands that, that without the prayer, now prayer in and of itself doesn't have the power, God has the power. But prayer, just like with my international friends, is where we call on God to give us the power that we need through the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that's what he recognizes the church in Philippi is doing for them, is doing for him. They're calling on God to actually fill up Paul and do great things. Through the life of Paul, and he says, This is going to work out for my deliverance. And he quotes Job thirteen, fifteen through sixteen. Though he slayed me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul understands that for those that love God, and those that are called according to the purposes of Jesus, those that submit their lives to Jesus, all things work out for the good. Of those that love God. That's true. And Paul understands that, that this will work out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or or by death. This word expectation, the the Greek really expresses expectation with uplifted head and outstretched neck. And it's only used a few times in the Bible, but in both places, it implies not just a mere expectation, but an anticipated longing and eagerness for what's to come. Paul putting his full trust in God and he's eager to see what God is going to do in his life, whether it's by life or whether it's by death. And why does he have reason to be ashamed? I'm not at all going to be ashamed because I'm doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. We'll say that at Redemption Church, we try striving to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way, submitting to the will of God. So Paul is doing, so he has nothing to be ashamed of. And he says, in my body, Paul's body, he recognized does not belong to him. His body, first and foremost, belongs to Jesus. And what is most crucial to Paul is not if he lives or dies, but that his body, whether in life or whether in death, that his body will honor Jesus. Ricardo last week talked about this longing, if you're here for the sermon, that each one of us have in our relationships, because it is hard for us in our culture, in our context to have non-sexual, intimate relationships where people can look at you in the eyes and tell you how much they love you, just as a friend that is fully devoted to you, fully connected to you. But the challenge is that with a culture that exalts sex and doesn't understand friendship, soon we find ourselves in situations where we're wondering what to do with our bodies in this relationship. And I think what Paul tells us in whatever relationship we have is that our bodies are holy and fully Jesus's that whatever decision we think we need to make in any relationship that God has given us, we submit that to God's word. You come to your pastors, your elders, your friends that are sitting next to you in the pews. You come to God in prayer and you say, God, what is it that you would call me to do with my body? And Paul realizes this. So whether it's in life or in death, his body does not belong to him. Holy and fully, it belongs to to Jesus. And this takes courage. And that's what he says, I'm gonna have courage. Because submitting your body wholly and fully to Jesus and whatever God calls you to do with it, and whatever he calls you not to do with it, takes courage. It's not an easy course. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Daniel understood this. In Daniel chapter six, you see God giving Daniel favor to where he rises up in the kingdom of Babylon. He's in exile in Babylon. He's a foreigner in a strange land, but God's favor rests on him to where he rises up in power in Babylon. And of course, there's some jealous leaders, right? As there always is in Babylon, there's some jealous leaders. So they trick the king into making a law to where every single person can only pray to the king. And the king, being full of himself, says, this sounds like a great plan. I should do this, right? Full of himself, he says it. But Daniel's life was wholly and fully committed to the Lord. His body was holy and fully committed to the Lord. He swore allegiance to the Lord alone. And he knew what would happen if he prayed to anybody else other than the king. He knew what would happen to his body. So it's thrown into the lion's den. And even in the midst of it, what I think is so incredible about it, even in the midst of it, there's trust in God, whether in life or whether in death, there is full trust in God. And I think what we have to contemplate is when we are giving ourselves to the Lord and we're submitting our lives to the Lord and saying our allegiance is holy and fully yours and what that leads us to is our neighbor we love you we're going to love our neighbor but what that can lead to as it led with Daniel and as it led to with Paul being in prison as he's writing this this letter it can lead to suffering and then when that suffering comes and we start to question God's motives here's what we have to ask ourselves whose kingdom was I trying to advance Was I trying to advance my kingdom and this is why I'm upset that this has come upon me? Because we recognize here, whether in life or in death, death is gain for us. And as we're going to find out soon, suffering actually brings us closer to Christ. So as we question God in our suffering, we have to ask, was this ever for me? Really? Or was it ever for God? Or was it only? Excuse me. Was it only for me? Because in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and has given himself to us. Our lives and our bodies fully belong to Jesus. Verse 21b through 26 is about dying being gain. The gain is life after death. So Paul isn't longing when he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. He's not talking about the death itself. No one wants to suffer. Paul doesn't want to be beheaded where he's in prison right now and he's contemplating if this is going to be his punishment where he's beheaded. He doesn't want to suffer. Peter didn't want to be crucified upside down. That's not what Paul is after, but what they're after is the life after death. First Corinthians, first Corinthians excuse me, fifteen nineteen says this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is our only hope, where of all people must be pitied, why? Because there's something better waiting for every single one of us. John eleven twenty-five. 25. Even if you die, you will live. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul recognizes that life after death is better. The great preacher Dwight Moody said this. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. He says, don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am right now. Paul understands that full life comes after death or when Jesus comes again. So he's torn between the two. Verse 22 and 23, he gets into this and says... If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far, far better. And it almost sounds pause there just for a moment. It almost sounds like suicidal ideation or if Paul actually has the ability to choose and neither one of those is true. Because we've already seen very clearly that Paul recognizes that his body doesn't belong to him So he doesn't make the choices over his body Jesus does And he doesn't really have the opportunity to choose Because if your body belongs to Jesus, Jesus chooses when you exit this world But what he's trying to give to the church in Philippi is this longing So they understand that being with Christ is far better being united with jesus in fullness is far better and we all understand wanting to depart because we live in the phoenix metro area and it's summer (laughs) i mean in all honesty who wants to be here you know we want to depart and we want to be in california we want to be in denver i don't know we want to be a rocky point you know but paul just like us has a recognition that God has purpose for our lives here and purpose for our work here. And that's what he's gonna transition into. Yes, to depart is far better, but for the sake of the work that God has called us to and our families and our vocation and our communities, we stay and we're faithful to love our neighbor as God has called us to. Verse 24 through 26, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul understands that a life devoted to Jesus is a life devoted to others. We don't choose one or the other. They're linked together. When we devote ourselves to Jesus, we always devote ourselves to our neighbors. And Paul's ambition was that they would have joy in the faith that they would grow in their joy for jesus christ and where does paul get this from where does paul get this understanding of a life devoted to others he gets it from the gospel he gets it from jesus himself jesus is the greatest leader that has ever lived and one of the reasons is because he led by example jesus doesn't call the church in philippi he doesn't call you to do anything that he already hasn't done himself Jesus paves the way for every single one of us. Jesus before He's crucified is in the garden and he's praying and he's agonizing in prayer so much that he's sweating drops of blood. But what does he do? He says, not my will, but your will be done because he's about to drink God's cup of wrath on the cross. Let this cup pass from me, but full submission to the Lord for the sake of the world for the sake of the whole world, for the sake of every single one of us that claims the name of Jesus. For our sake, he did it. And then when he's on the cross, he actually has a vision of neighbor as well. I can't imagine that I am hung on the cross and I actually have a thought of the person next to me. But Jesus does, right? He forgives the thief on the cross and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And not only does he forgive me, he says, you're going to be with me. We're going to be united as brothers. This thief becomes a brother, becomes one with Christ. And then he looks out on those that are persecuting him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Paul is only reenacting the gospel story that he learned from Jesus. Paul is only a man, he gets it from Jesus. And Philippians two, five through eight is the full embodiment of what I'm talking about. And you're gonna talk about this more in weeks to come, but I wanna read it to you because it's so incredible. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. I'm going to read it real slow just so you can meditate on it with me as we go through it. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to exploit, but made himself Nothing. By taking the form of a servant and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul's understanding of our citizenship being holy and fully in God's kingdom and our love for the nations and our love for the world only comes from Jesus and from saturating our lives in the gospel. But God moves us from that to love our neighbor, and Paul jumps into that at the end of the text. Uh, verse 27 through 30, a life worthy of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. A life worthy. Have any of you ever seen the movie Coco? Kids' movie? If you're a parent, have you seen it 100 times? Over 10, raise your hand. No, you don't need to. Um, Yeah, no, I've seen it quite a few times, but I actually do like it. It's a good movie. And Miguel in this movie loves a guitar player, Ernesto de la Cruz. He does everything he can to emulate him. He actually, he draws a picture on his guitar, builds a guitar from scratch, it's pretty incredible. Builds a guitar from scratch, and it looks exactly like Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar. And he watches him on video, and he tries to emulate every single thing he does, because he has such admiration for him. He plays just like him, he wants to be just like him. There's this moment in the film where he needs a blessing from Ernesto de la Cruz, and he can get that blessing. He can just go up to him and get it. But he's having a conversation with somebody, and he says, I don't just want the blessing. He says, I want to be worthy. I want to be worthy of the blessing. We have all the blessings we could want in Christ. Read Ephesians 1. Everything that you could want, you have now in Christ. Fully blessed. So what is this about? It's not a worthiness that says Jesus is not going to accept us when he comes again or when you die. It's a worthiness that says, I long, I long to be worthy of the blessings that Jesus has given me finding ourselves worthy when we die or when jesus comes again and how we do that a, a simple way we do that well i don't know if it's that simple but a way we do that is unity with one another we got to remember the context of philippi in our context today as i said before we live in a, a city with um, a lot of different cultures a lot of different peoples and it was no different in philippi you had a few roman elite you had retired soldiers You had 50% of the population that was probably enslaved. You had the poorest of the poor. And Paul is saying that you need to all unite. You need to be of one spirit. You need to be of one mind. You need to be united as one in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And something that makes me think of this and what Paul's trying to say is Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a activist and civil rights leader, a pastor, In the 50s and 60s, that was the primary leader of the civil rights movement. During Jim Crow segregation, when there was segregation between white and black, and he was so inspired, being a pastor, he was so inspired by the life of Jesus, this nonviolent direct action that's not passive, but moves towards neighbors, but it's gentle. It's kind. It's forgiving. It doesn't just want justice for the oppressed. It actually wants to liberate the oppressors believing that they are just in need of good news, just as much in need of good news as the people that are being oppressed. So a center point of this was Birmingham, Alabama. So Dr. King finds himself in Birmingham, Alabama, and somebody else in Birmingham, Alabama was Bull Connor, which was the commissioner of public safety. Um, And he was known to rule by fear, through dogs, through hoses. He was known to be a racist where he'd give about 15 minutes for the Ku Klux Klan to do what they needed to do before he would actually show up. So Dr. King and a few hundred African-Americans are met by Bull Connor, and when they're met by him, the hoses are pointed at them, the dogs are about ready to be unchained, and all of them drop to their knees, and they start to pray, and they start to worship, one mind, one spirit, standing firm, unified, for the sake of their dignity as human beings. And they say something incredible happens, because nothing happens. They split to the side, and they allow them to walk through. And they have these accounts of actually seeing the officers' faces as they walked by. And the officers were amazed. And it made me think about the next verse, because it says in verse 28, "...and not frightened in anything by our opponents, because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction." God speaks to every single one of us, and he reveals himself in every single human being. And there's something in every single human being that that tells us the way things are supposed to be. It's so polluted by sin, we need the gospel to, to wake it back up. But when you have that many people striving side by side, in one spirit, standing firm in the name of Jesus, it speaks. It speaks to opponents. And it spoke to these officers because they knew it was for their destruction verse 28 let me continue reading that passage but of your this is the second half of verse 28 but of your salvation and that from god for it has been granted to you for the sake of christ you should not only believe in him but suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw i had and now here that i still have our unity just as you saw with dr king our unity as a people speaks to the world it speaks of our salvation that we are one family united in the gospel of jesus and it speaks to the world outside that's why it's a witness it's a witness to the world outside of their destruction paul said it's been granted to us to suffer it has been granted to you to suffer now A close Greek translation would actually look at this as God's favor on you, for it has been granted as a favor to you that you should suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in all honesty, this makes no sense outside of a Christian context. Anybody read it? If you're not a Christian and you do not declare Jesus as Lord, you read this and it's really, it's unfathomable. But if you're a believer in here and you've suffered, whether you're just an idiot, like I've been in the past and suffered, or whether you're actually suffering for the sake of the gospel, you recognize that suffering can produce intimacy with Christ. Because Paul will say later on in this letter that I may know him and partake in his sufferings. Because when we suffer, God actually brings us together with Jesus. We can be united with Jesus in our suffering, but the suffering is not a badge of honor the suffering is not something that we lift up and say, okay, well, this person's suffering, they must be doing it right. No, faithfulness to Jesus and love for our neighbor are the things that we pursue as a people. But God promises us that there will be suffering on this journey. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace in the world. No, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't say that. I'm to be, um, go back with me. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As I said before, uh, joy is a central theme in this letter. 16 times Paul talks about joy. And I think why is because when you're united with Christ in suffering, it can bring this joy As you're trying to love your neighbor and you're trying to swear allegiance to Jesus in the whole of your life, and we suffer for that, it brings joy. But there's also this future longing of joy that Paul has in mind. Hebrews 12.2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated... At the right hand of the throne of god what can allow us to continue to be faithful trust god and persevere through suffering it's a vision of future joy with jesus that we are united with him now in joy but there's a longing to be united with him one day holy and fully and paul is actually able to rejoice in this. And I don't know what suffering uh, you want to be delivered from. Each one of us, we bring our baggage in here every single Sunday, and each one of you is suffering in a different way, whether you brought it on yourself or whether for the sake of your neighbor or for the sake of the gospel, interconnected, you're suffering. But I do know there is joy in the suffering. Trust God. Hold on. Hold on and trust God in the midst of it and allow God to give you a vision of future joy to come. Let me pray. God, I thank you uh, for your word and its truth. God, I thank you for a joy that is set before us. God, truly, living is holy and fully for Christ, and dying is gain god so i pray now as we take a moment and we meditate on what it is that you have spoken to us god that you continue to speak may we hear your voice and may we obey amen